Welcome back to the Broken Poets Yardcast for August 8th, 2022. Our first in person in over two years. Hosted in our brand new space in Brooklyn Heights at 144 Montague Street. I am your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. This month's Yop featured a longtime Brooklyn Poets friend and now Vice President Jessica Greenbaum, one of my favorite Brooklyn Poets. Just led the workshop and kicked off the open mic as our featured reader. For more information about the Brooklyn Poets Yop, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Veronica Martha Greaves, Serendria Rao, Phil Eggers, Natalia Conte, Jasmine Pierick, Heather Kim, Sarah Lynn Rogers, Kaylin Tully, Michael Cohen, Andrew Yim, Brian Jang, Jazz Sufi, Madeline Phillips, Arthur Russell, Cassidy Gabriel, Morgan Boyle, Kiara DeLalo, Stella Lee, Adam Rosen, and Nitty Vanga. Uh, I can't tell you how nice it was to listen to this podcast with people applauding in the background rather than just me clicking on Zoom. I uh, can't wait to share it with you. The Broken Poets Yop Open Mic for August 8th. Enjoy. All right, folks, we are back. How y'all feeling? Gonna ask again, how y'all feeling? <laughs> Better, twice. Um, this rosé is dangerous that we get from Brooklyn Wine Exchange. I, I feel like every event we've done so far, I've had like 10 cups of this, and I don't feel it at all. Um, I'm waiting to feel it. One of these events, I will feel it and probably collapse. But um, we are back for the open mic. We're excited to get started. Um, a few uh, reminders of the ground rules of the open mic. Well, it's so, i got to say, it's so surreal to be doing this in person again after two and a half years of doing this virtual. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, so the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic is recorded as a podcast. It's called the Yopcast, which you can certainly subscribe to on iTunes or whatever platform you use for podcasts. And we would love it if you would rate us five stars because that will help more people find these poets that read every month for the open mic. This mic stand is a little bit annoying, which I'm sure you'll discover if you read tonight. But we will navigate it. Um, so if you don't want to be in the recording, if you're reading tonight, you don't have to be. But you should come talk to me afterward, and I can take you off the recording. Uh, if you haven't been here before and you don't know what happens, every month we vote for Poem of the Month at every Yop open mic. Um, and the way to do that, I'm going to tell you the number right now. This is the business phone for Brooklyn Poets, by the way, as well. Thanks uh, to the dog in the back. Shout out to that dog who barked at me when I tried to pet it. Uh, I still think you're my friend, and I feel like we're going to be friends eventually. <laughs> but the number to vote for Poem of the Month is 718-374-1953. Uh, I ask that you wait until the end of the night to vote for Poem of the Month. You can just tell us the poet's name. Uh, if you're not sure how to spell it, just try your best. Uh, we will go over the names at the end. 718-374-1953. That's how you vote for Poem of the Month. And the 12 winners of Poem of the Month over the course of the year face off in December uh, for Poem of the Year honors. 
All right. Uh, and uh, we're going to figure out how we do that event this year because uh, we've been doing it virtually. I'm going to see. Maybe we'll do it a hybrid thing. I don't know. I don't want to think about it yet. <laughs> but for now, to vote for Poem of the Month, 718-374-1953. So each of these readers, after Jess Greenbaum, who's going to read first as our feature reader, each of these readers for the open mic is going to read one poem of three minutes Max, but before we get to that, our featured reader tonight is uh, the leader of our workshop, Jessica Greenbaum. Give it up for Jess. Hey, welcome to the open mic, people, and I'll just repeat myself and say, isn't this space so incredible? So in the Poetry Buffet um, class on Wednesdays at 11, right here, drop in, uh, we're interested also in generating poems, not necessarily polishing them there, really just saying, you know, where does it start? We'll see where it goes. And um, so I wanted to read a poem like that. And uh, it's not a poem that might stay. I really don't know. You know, sometimes getting away from product and commodity is really helpful. And um, it's just a reflection of the past couple of days. Sometimes we just want to write about what's going on and see how it adds up and see how we have felt it adds up. How do we make um, all these little squiggles of experience cohere into a shape? Um, and I also wanted to read a poem that pays homage in some ways to Walt Whitman, because that's important right now. Um, and maybe it does in its excesses and its long lines and hopefully in the pride it takes in the human condition. So. Uh, I'll just frame it by saying it starts with me looking at, at Twitter videos. After the laundry truck tipped over. This morning I watched a reticulated python climb a tree, not in a uniform swirl upwards like a barber pole, but through an intricate whip and loop switchback, and saw another video of some teenage boys in Mexico who honored their murdered soccer teammate by setting his coffin on the soccer field just opposite the goal, kicked the ball off its side so it shot past the goalie to score, then fell upon his coffin in praise and grief, all while I sat in a plastic chair outside a motel room in Williamstown, scrolling through my Twitter feed, and there fell into a consideration about time, all starting because our windshield had been smashed earlier in the week, and our initial repair date at the shop in Bensonhurst was delayed because the first truck carrying the windshields tipped over, <laughs> breaking all the windshields. I hope he had meta-glass coverage, I say to Patty, explaining why I won't meet her as planned up this way. And she tells me the story of her dad, a Quaker in that model of a white-haired, tam-o'-shanter-wearing pacifist who told her he drove a laundry truck as a young man, and one day the truck tipped over. He lost his job, and, and ever after would say, after the laundry truck tipped over, because life tipped into parts on one side of that divide or the other, as it tends towards. And I know we've gotten used to this, but I wonder how time holds all these parts. For instance, Waiting in Bensonhurst in 95 degrees yesterday, I first stopped at a Chinese-run grocery with its yellow, green, 
orange and red produce outside, and fresh fish and aisles of food inside. And then I met up with my husband in the Gossip Cafe, a Turkish hangout where people were mostly not Turkish. And as I ordered a plate of watermelon, I heard the owner say into the phone, I cannot understand you. And I thought I would check out the library down the block, but still being hungry, I ducked into a Salvadoran grocery and restaurant where they lent me a pad and pen as I sat in the back room, cavernous as a gym, but with a wavy plastic roof, music piped in through piled speakers, and many satiny flags strung on the walls, sagging as if the wind rippled them. When I thanked the owner for the homemade tortilla, he looked at me squarely and said, seven days a week. Everyone is so emphatic here and sweaty without respite. And I knew the laundry truck of my life had never tipped in any terrible direction and that even as the smashed windshield was being replaced, labor, catastrophe, and determination climbed in their reticulated motion while time, which holds both the mountain and the snowdrop, which houses all our details and may not, as some people claim, be linear, but instead infinitely elastic like a cosmic mind, while time hosts the flourish of the second hand, but also the icy touch of the glacier, so that the limestone I am now sitting on, while many other things were surely simultaneously happening, arrived from the slowest delivery service on Earth. Thanks so much. It's really such an honor to hold this first yawp, and I'll just, I'll just end with this little poem called If You Think It Is Raining Faintly Every Night. If you think it is raining faintly every night because you hear a fizzing through the wall behind your pillow, but it's quiet in the morning, if you think it is raining every night, check for carpenter ants. You will call the exterminator, and he'll ask, do you think it's raining faintly every night? <laughs> and just like that, you'll realize you are not alone in this world. Thank you so much. All right, keep it going for the one and only Jessica Greenbaum. Uh, what a pleasure. So the first time I read Jess Greenbaum's poems, there's a, an anthology that we have over there uh, on the, the left side, <laughs> the third shelf. It's, I think it's labeled Brooklyn NYC Interest called Broken Land. It's an anthology of uh, poems about Brooklyn. And uh, I read that anthology and Jess had a poem. I had never heard of Jessica Greenbaum. And uh, I think there's a poem called Obad in there, or Brooklyn Obad. And uh, I was like, what is this fucking poem? It was like one of the most gorgeous poems I'd ever read. And I never have that experience reading anthology. Usually I'm reading an anthology. I'm just like full of like cynicism. I'm like, fuck this poet, fuck that poet. Why are they in this anthology? And it was the same with this anthology until I got to Jess's poem. And I was like, this person is going to be my friend. So uh, that's the best thing I could say about Jessica Greenbaum. She cuts through all of your poet cynicism because her poems are so good. 
Okay, uh, we are on to the open mic. I'm going to try to read people's handwriting as, uh, as best I can. I think this first name is Veronica Martha Graves or Greaves? All right, give it up for Veronica Martha. Said perfectly, uh, Greaves. <laughs> awesome. All right, cool. Uh, da, da, da. Okay, cool. So much wounds over, so much wounds overcuts, oversalted. I fell above the rim, rubbing alcohol. Never snobbish, looking down on rocks like it neat, like tequila, tequila celeb or not. Can I see after double shots, drowning sorrows sipping from me from the fingers, just the glass wet outside of the dry. So hand me the bottle. Got a lot of love, a lot of love to give. Seem hates think about that type. It just follows. Ain't even, ain't even like we get seen around the block. But it just, just for likes. Ain't that nice? Ain't that ill? I heard the ill smell strong. For the steel and tundras, minogen like Nikki, even in fingers in freezing tundras, I'm just so composed. When tilted, it's like what I blink is just tinted. Is it dark after tomorrow? When the sun goes down, I think of the very next hustle. Well, Armageddon, the world conceiving the ending, stay blessed be the fittest. Because even when I landed, should I be thinking about the feet waiting under me or just follow through, just hitting a jump shot? It's hardwood, but what it mean to the concrete? It's much less give and more rings buried deep. The OGs of the league make it a 40, and 40 be the drinks of the G's, so infinitely. Well, form, whether forming at the mouth or forming at the can, turning metal into something useful, repairing roses to grow. Stolen hearts when shooters run it up, run shots, run, run it up. Don't exist when there's still numbers on the clock. Collins will be useful when needed at all the time. Commons would be better then, buying get better routes in the game plan. Stogie's up after work, thinking a little bit different with the loose he just off the truck, just merch. I can be, how can I be like, how can I even survive? Lovers came and went, and I still can't even seem to cry. Not even investing in two nice clothes, but my wardrobe will cause boutiques to close. Stove on, and I got food in the fridge, just my brand of fronting, excessive commercialist. Not that I can brag on my ether, just comes across as weldings of a leader. Bosses seem all, cause I think I'm a teacher. Talking to y'all, turning boxing to squeakers. No need for speakers when my presence is clear. Don't seem to need you sometimes. That's just overachieving, cause y'all are awesome, my dear. Take care. <laughs> uh, thank you, that was amazing. Oh my God. I love the style, I love the delivery. Uh, I'm a little mesmerized. We were like one reader in. Uh, thank you. Uh, our next reader is Serendria Rao. Give it up for Serendria. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Jason. Uh, thank you so much, Jessica, and thanks to all the readers. Um, so this poem is not <clears throat> particularly uplifting, but hopefully it's not too much of a downer. Uh, <clears throat> it is about how sometimes things just end. Um, and it's called Calligraphies of Rain. Funerals are for the living. They come and go like rain. Among the Damoclean ghosts astride the world. Dark clouds condensing dreams that flash awake and dissipate like rain. Circles are chimeric metaphors for endless absence. Each rabbinic tree will parse its branches from a single seed, dismembered as the first, searching the sky like rain. You're gone. And I am only talking 
talking in circles, rearranging dead hopes and empty solaces like ashes in an urn, questions falling through enduring silences like rain. Come back, don't come back, time harvests everyone. Mercy is parting like a ripened gourd from its stem, gently like rain. Thank you. All right. Damn. I forgot how good this open mic was, man. It hits you harder when it's in person. Uh, our next reader, I'm so excited I see this name. I haven't seen you, I feel like, since the pandemic began. Uh, probably last time I saw you, we were like drinking whiskey together with, uh, with Tim Gerber Fleury. Give it up for Phil Eggers. Hey, y'all. Um, uh, I was not planning on reading today. I was going to kind of slide in, but when Jason said there's an open spot, I figured it's been two and a half years. Let's see what happens. Uh, so this is a short one called Peel. <clears throat> I would undress you as I undress an orange with fingertips feeling for where folds give in and let go. Finally unraveled, you'd be sweetly devoured piece by piece until all that remains is a sticky spot on the corner of my lips. Thank you. All right. It's good to see you again, Phil Eggers. <laughs> uh, our next reader I just met in person. It's, I've met a few people in person like for the first time tonight that I've met virtually over the last two and a half years. It's a really strange human phenomenon that we're all going to have to deal with. Uh, our next reader is a uh, former finalist for Brooklyn Poets, Poets Fellowship. Give it up for Natalia Conte. Sorry, long runway. <laughs> um, this is kind of a weird poem, uh, right? Um, so I always kind of joke that my first language is science. Uh, my whole family is medical, so all of our griefs in tabletop conversations are through medical, like, terminology. So a lot of my poetry is like that as well. Um, this is called Sea Shanty. All cephalopods are blue-blooded, rich with fabled flexion. In my dreams, I'm elastic, not inches from my own pinky toes, steeled from movement. I'm made from pink. My cheeks, my lips, my hands held like a promise to the insoles of my calloused feet. In the mirror, I practice uncoiling each vertebra like a sailor's tongue. The sky thick with murk, the color of all things plausible. My toenails, honeysuckled, half marooned. Each crackle of back near musical, near monstrous. You know the tale by heart. I lost all my blood to the scalpel Turned shark to eat it back, red meat near rare, seafood banquets splayed out like specimen. Even an octopus body loses its color after drying on the beach for too long, a purpling then paling in the sand, like my corpse fingers, their greedy dive into the belly of a porgy. I can tell you what feels closest to death, my body, its bloodlessness, a porgy picked boneless. 
right. That was amazing. Wow. It's like the on and off of the mask is it's a little a bit of an effort, but it's fine. Uh, thank you, Natalia. That was amazing. Uh, our next reader is... I'm going to try to remember if I get your name, last name right from the last time I asked you. Is it Jasmine Pyrick? Pyrick. I got it wrong. Give it up for Jasmine Pyrick. All right. It's been a couple of years since I've been doing this. Uh, okay, so this, this poem is about my mother. I write a lot about my mother. Um, she is still alive, and I'm telling you that because in the poem you might not know if she was or not. So it's called, What I Will Remember About My Mother. That she always ordered the large ice cream and never finished it. How I knew this, so I'd get a small and plan to help her. How she, was, how she never was bothered when the cool cream dripped onto her hand as she extended her cup to me. That one of her favorite things to do is shop. Flowers or a flowering floor-length dress or heeled patchwork boots just because. That on holidays, she liked to think more about how the table would be set than what would be served. Old mismatched glasses, large goblets for wine, pale pink plates. Will you hang these ornaments from the chandelier, she'd squeal, and disappear into her bedroom, back to the heaping piles of jeans, deciding which wash to give which daughter. How last Christmas, we made salt and flower ornaments like we did when I was a kid. How my favorite part of the week was when her and I sat for six hours at least, painting hand-formed candy canes, wreaths, and stars. How all my ornaments were neatly painted with the smallest brush in the expected red, green, gold, and occasional blues. How hers were chaotic and covered in sequins, gobs of hot glue on her hands and on a big heart she made for her mother. How after I made the comment about hers being artful and interesting, she invited me to make a gingerbread girl to match the boy who she was painting pinstripe pants for. How I glued a peacock feather in her gingerbread hair and made eyelashes so long we later joked about my drag gingerbread queen as she hung with her mate, the stars of our tree. That she loved to dance and would dance anywhere with anyone, shimmying her hips, chin dipped, eyes locked with a stranger on a Brooklyn block, walking home from coffee when she was out visiting. Or down the aisle of the grocery store, giggling with a grandchild, dressed up as pirates on a random May afternoon. Or in a bar, definitely with live music playing and dirty martinis flowing, she'd throw me in spin after spin, encouraging me to get loose how she always loved to be the leader. That she loved garage sales, it didn't matter who she was with or where they were going, to a baseball game, a graduation, if there was a big neon sign, she'd whip the car around, even if she wasn't the one driving. How she was in it for the thrill of the negotiation, the push and pull, how much she liked to win. That she was never afraid to put paint on the wall and that she believed no plan was the best plan of all. 
that she'd rearrange the house often and with great enthusiasm, well into the afternoon, running on a mango smoothie only, her oversized overalls never fastened on her shoulders, barely hanging on to her slim hips, she'd holler as I walked through the front door. With towels shoved underneath, you can move just about any piece of furniture on your own, <laughs> pushing a nine-foot rust velvet couch across the wood floor how after I got my very first apartment of my own and moved all the furniture up four flights of stairs with the help of a couple of friends, later putting towels under the legs of my baby blue 1900, 1900s hutch and dark blue velvet couch to rearrange them, rearrange them around each other again and again, I came home one day after work and she'd moved every single thing. Even the bouquet of dried lavender that Libby gave me that I'd hung on the door had found a new home on the coffee table. How she stood in the center of the living room I didn't recognize, beaming. Look what I did. <laughs> how I tried to take it in, how I had to walk into the bedroom to hide my tears, how I didn't want her to know how bad it hurt me, how she could tell immediately, how she followed me, how she apologized and told me we could put it all back right then, the look on her face when she said, I was only playing. I will remember her forearms, their veins like her father's, how as a kid sitting on the rug, I watched her get dressed for work, prancing back and forth from her room to the floor-length mirror in the hallway, swapping out suit jackets, silk shirts and skirts, the sinews of her calf muscles extra pronounced in heels, how lean, how strong, her knobbed knuckles, our right middle fingers bearing matching calluses, how we hold a pen the same. I will remember that she didn't buy into coincidence. Things were serendipitous and meant to teach us a lesson. An intimate conversation with the insurance lady, the UPS driver, the person she was buying a used car from, these interactions were her lifeblood. I will remember the breathy quality of her voice as she sang along to Stevie Wonder while playing gin rummy with my dad and I, how she hated discarding and would take her time, how she grabbed any face card just to have it, talking shit the entire time. That her skin was soft and olive tanned year round, that no matter how much her body was hurting, she kept going, and for as tiny as a woman as she was, her feet were big and brick heavy, how you could always hear her coming. <laughs> I will remember that she didn't sleep much, that she had a kinship with the moon, and as such, she liked her coffee strong, mud thick, how she'd stir in big, heaping spoons of honey, how she'd lick the silver clean, how growing up, when I was having a bad day, her fix was to ask my dad to get us a big old brownie from the bakery down the street. I will remember how badly she always wanted things to be sweet. Thank you. God damn, keep it going for Jasmine Pyrrhic. Holy shit. Um, the best thing I can say about that poem is I thought about my own mom through the whole poem <laughs> and all the issues. Uh, wow, that was a, an amazing tribute and portrait of your mother. Thank you, Jasmine. Uh, our next reader is Heather Kim. Give it up for Heather.
ますか Um, oh, just to give a small warning, this, this poem does regard、um, disordered eating, so if that's, you know, please stop outside if you feel the need.、Okay. Perch. Like salt making. In a man's bathroom, I bent over. Bruised my knees on the tiled floor, begged mercy for the hallowing. Take the unwanted beast, butchered and drained, mix with caustic soda to saponify. Tallow gouged from carcass, a sick hive scraped, room after room, rot blossom bright. If no lies on hand, home solutions do. Rainwater leached through wood cinders. Take the undesirable. Take the animal waste rendered and strained, stir sodium hydroxide to hydrolyze. Cells of lard, like foul brood in an apiary, cut open for the haloing. In the temple of filth, at the shrine of filth, I laid the monstrance of my body, prayed the taint would osmos out of me. Spores in the interior, contagion site. Colonies that multiply take the body, take its blight and bestial, choke with corrosives to purify. If no emetics are on hand, home remedies do. Salt, vodka, hydrogen peroxide, the meat of men who touch me. I touch the back of my throat. I open for the hollowing. Bile in water. Bowl crossed with blood. In my father's house I kneeled, and oh, what grace to be clean at last, the honeycomb purged of light. Thank you. That was amazing. Thank you, Heather. I don't, know, I don't know if I can stand it. It's only six readers and I might die. <laughs>、uh, wow.、Uh, all right.、Uh, well, if you can stand it, another reader, our next reader, is an old friend of mine, Sarah Lynn Rogers. Give it up for Sarah. To have like three foot long hair, so nobody knows who I am now with a mask on. Surprise.、Um, okay. I have a poem called Posture of Dread. On the Four of Pentacles, somebody's body clenched into a fist. Posture of Dread. You have probably seen a dog posed so, waiting for the always other shoe. The energy worker says that what upsets the neck is what we carry, eyebrow arched. The chiropractor says we must open the chest, what aliens and healers call the heart space. Another fist, a redwood's thimble cone, which needs heat, even fire, to unclench the seeds it grips, 
sm so small as to seem worthless? Why hide what doesn't even matter, which can neither be created nor destroyed? A clip of an opening bud rewound played backward. Rewound as did rewind, not will rewound. But what is wound around conceals a wound. The reality star's one weird trick to avoid wrinkles. Just sleep on your back, she says, as though one could decide to feel safe. Maybe one who's never felt like prey can fall asleep with every organ up, soft belly out, heart open to the stars and predators. The witch says at the trailhead, make the heart an altar. On it, I place redwood cones and matches, coins, a cup of water for the local beast, and meet the eye that rides a wave of sand and the woman who flickers unclenching black fox and white cat. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my God. Heart open to the stars and predators. Damn. Our next reader is Kaylin Tully. Give it up for Kaylin. It's a long walk. Um, the poem I plan to read today is actually the inverse of our um, <laughs> the workshop uh, prompt that you gave us. Instead of remembering, it's imagining a summer. Um, and this is a poem I wrote for the teenager inside me that didn't feel safe enough to uh, say I had a crush on a girl. So I wrote this, uh, imagined this poem for her. It's called um, The Diet Pepsi and the Dessert Menu. <laughs> there was the emptying of the dishwasher, the steam trickling up and turning my ears red, the Diet Pepsi and the dessert menu. There was the smell of the ocean, island bloom, chlorine from every single pool. There, it was quiet enough to hear the owl call once and another answer back to hear the ice in the freezer crackle and collapse, the good little crickets singing behind the garden shack, those creeping moments right before you fall into a crush and realize you're never coming back. <laughs> I will tell you, and only you, about the girl with the summer freckles across the bridge of her nose, about her affinity for soft serve with rainbow sprinkles, about how she didn't miss a single jump shot for all of June her singing voice in my passenger seat on a Sunday afternoon. Enter July, lulling us into its mid-month heat wave, hiding in the aisles of the air-conditioned pharmacy to escape, trading manicures under the bedroom ceiling fan, denting our primrose polish, starting over again, quietly admitting to myself it's an excuse to hold her hand. I know, I know, I tell all the girls they look pretty, but when I said it to her, I realized I meant it differently. Let me tell you about August, when she kissed me behind the bowling alley and we both blamed it on a dare. 
about how we did it again and again until we ran out of excuses besides the fact that we actually wanted to be there. I remember what that evening felt like. It was as sudden as September ending our summer with just one touch. She looked at me and said, I know I love you, but now I need to find out just how much. It's like a, <laughs> I got an ache after that poem. Uh, man, I'm enjoying myself. I don't know how you all are doing. <laughs> I'm having a good time. Uh, I feel like this step over here is a good step. It's like, because I'm looking up at everyone, and it's like you're all like gods to me when you read. <laughs> so however good your poem is, I feel like it's, it's like tripled. Um, anyway, uh, wow, that was amazing. Thank you, Kaylin. Our next reader is Michael Cohen. Give it up for Michael. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, a poem by a pigeon. Uh, it begins with a quote by former New York City Mayor Ed Koch, pigeons are rats with wings. <laughs> I lift off from Union Square. It's a perfect autumn day. A slight chill cloudless sky and laser sharp sun, every color and detail magnified. A few flaps and we're soaring, my friends, my friends and I, up through the tree branches, then straight across 14th Street, and down Fourth Avenue, flying against the cumbersome stupidity of the cars below. Einstein was right, and the perceived speed of their northward motion is relative to our flight southwest to the battery. Once aloft, we are akin to our seabird cousins, although you're blind to our magnificence. Our eyes cover the entire length of Manhattan. We know everything happening and instantaneous. I feel in every muscle and feather the speed of the wind, the humidity, and exert the perfect wing motion. So exact and unseen by humans, we literally ride the wind. The drafts created by the cross streets, river to river that we know so well uptown, become more complex south of 14th. And we love the excitement of the unexpected. <laughs> the winds in the village in Soho and the wonderful wall of Canal Street air from water to water is a high, really. Rats with wings, my ass. <laughs> That's behind us now as we linger through Chinatown. There's always something to eat there as we hop on the sidewalks along the way. We're less beautiful on the ground, clumsy perhaps, and ugly. That's by design. Our speech is purposely untranslatable and always fools you, pigeon print. That's exactly what we want you to think. No different than your government's conscientious disinformation campaign. When each one of you believes the world is presented to you as truth, success. We achieved this long ago. From the rooftops in Brooklyn to Van Cortlandt Park, Ed Koch can go to hell. Rats with wings, we admit that one sticks in our crawl. We're, we feel like we're choking at times. And yes, we've made mistakes for which we grieve, but nothing for which you are quick to cast blame. Disease and filth are yours. Wherein lies responsibility? 
We're more comfortable than you in the realms of awareness and atmosphere, and it's difficult to put into words the experience heading downtown and out over the East River towards Vinegar Hill, riding the winds around the Manhattan Bridge as we play under the amazing metalwork and hear the subway above, the wind under my wing, my friends all around, the promise of food in the New Harbor Park. Oh my God, nothing compares. All your insults dissolve. The cruel children who love to chase us and watch us scatter, forgotten. Life is in the moment. The sea and river waters intermingling below. Some seagulls calling, a few boats sailing, and the endless sky and universe above. Yes, we are New Yorkers too. Maybe more than you. We are the city. Try imagining these streets without us. Impossible. We know. <laughs> Wow, thank you, Michael Cohn. You'll never be mistaken for the other Michael Cohn here. <laughs> Pigeons, man. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard a poem from the perspective of pigeons, have you? And certainly not one that good if I have. Okay, uh, our next reader is, uh, I recognize the name from one of our workshops. Give it up for Andrew Yim. Hey, what's up? I wrote this poem for a workshop with Rosebud Ben-Oni, um, who everyone should take a class with. This is called Fictional Intergenerational Dialogue. In the dusty attic of my fake house, the child I don't have is digging through cardboard boxes, tenuously held by duct tape decades older than they are, asking me what is this and what is this, and holding up relics of my several quarter-life crises, now made to account for themselves in the cold December light I let drift into this scene. Yes, this was from my puzzle phase, and that was from my other puzzle phase. <laughs> and those two bottles held something called hair gel, which is something we, the world, have phased out entirely, so quickly forget you ever heard the name LA Looks, please. <laughs> Surely, I once stood with my parents on the wooden floors of an attic we didn't have, and put them through this same ritual scrutiny, held their past lives and blew off the dust to see what I could name on my own. And probably, likely, they too did this with their parents, who did this with theirs, in something like an attic or cave or boat taking on water while crossing some river from which all my life springs. And really, way worse than the litany of embarrassments dumped right on the floor are the things I have no quick answer for, things which severely undermine my fatherly aspiration towards seeming like I know anything at all like when you, fake child, held up that plastic thing with the dark beveled handle and gently sloped blade, and I channeled my own father's bullshit and said we used it for digging up vegetables, while I texted my mom and she said, popping pimples, while she texted her mom, who said we used to have to use our bare hands, while she texted her own mom from beyond the grave and got back rather quickly, this is an emergency, 
in Cantonese, which we all assumed meant something, 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 uphill both ways. <laughs> but what really scared me was when you picked up the lock and called it a lock, and I told you for keeping things in, and you looked up and told me for keeping things out. That's beautiful. I gotta give props to any Asian American male I see reading a poem. There's not many of us, and props also for your Hideki Matsui shirt. I'm not a Yankees fan, but I am a Matsui fan. Uh, it looks like we have two Asian American males in a row, if that is possible. Uh, our next reader is Brian Zhang. Give it up for Brian. Hey everyone, um, this is my first time here. Um, this poem is called Masochist and it's um, about the most difficult breakup that I've ever had. Um, Dad, remember those nights when I would draw portraits of you with my crayons? You got tired of posing and told me to put my art supplies away and I say fine, but one last piggyback ride though. And, I, and while I was up there on your shoulders, you joked you joke that I might as well check to see how many strands of gray hair you had. Well, the last time I checked, your diagnosis was a typical Asian father. You forbade dating until after marriage. You reminded me to excel at math, and your eyes were always on the hunt for a, a clearance aisle. Women called you cheap. I called it a talent dad. Except I don't know if you're still good at finding deals anymore, because earlier today, I saw you downtown, and you walked right past a good deal. This one doesn't have a price tag, but he does have your dark brown eyes, and he waits for you every Chinese New Year. He's silent like you, a little bit shy like you. The word love hangs at the tip of our Asian tongues, Dad. We never say exactly how we feel until it's too late. Remember, when I graduated at the top of my class, you blamed your happy tears on allergies. You would tell me that you weren't hungry even though you were starving. You need to stop lying, Dad. You need to teach me how to love out loud so that I can stop writing about you. I'm a masochist. I'm hurting, but my, chem, but my pen keeps moving, bleeding for someone I'll never be enough for. I wish this poem were different. I wish it were me telling you that I made it somehow so that you can finally come home. I wish it were as warm as the coffee and Father's Day magazines. But Father's Day isn't ours. It belongs to the orphans and newborns who get to speculate the best of fatherhood. I don't get to speculate what could have happened between us or what should have been. I wake up every morning knowing that my dad is still out there somewhere. I don't know if he's all right or where he is, but I wish him more homemade dumplings than store-bought ones more straight sons than masochists who sleep with other men and cry just a tad bit too much. Crying doesn't mean sadness, Dad. It means that I love something so much, I don't know if I deserved it. It means I believe in something. And I still believe you, Dad. I always will. I still wait for you by the clearance rack, hoping that you'll finally choose me over your cheap champagne and Henneken. I keep sitting alone, collecting dust, writing you letters, and choosing not to remember what you wouldn't want me to remember. The nights you were a carnivore, 
the blue red sirens, and the cold streets that welcomed me home. Instead, I'm going to remember us in train rides to downtown Brooklyn on the R, dreaming about a house and a husky and a hero to call our own. It's the last stop, but we don't get off. I keep sitting on your lap and drawing you with crayons, hoping you'll tell me to put them away. Damn, that was beautiful. That reminded me of Jasmine's poem. All I did was think about my father <laughs> during that one. It's like, and that was hard because uh, I was thinking about my my own Asian father. Damn. Thank you, Brian. Um, I don't know how you're going to vote tonight, folks, but uh, the number to vote is 718-374-1953 if you can manage it without crying. Our next reader, uh, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing your last name right, is Jason Cilio or Silio. Is Jason here? Maybe I didn't get the name right. Jason Cilio? Silio? <laughs> I guess he's not here. Um, okay, well, Jason is not here. What about Jaz Sufi? Yes? All right, give it up for Jaz Sufi. I'm Jazz. He's Apollo. He has an ear infection. I'm sorry for the barking. Really? In front of everyone? <laughs> anyway, uh, this is both of our first time. You know why having a pet is not like having kids? Because if I read this poem and I had a kid up here, you would call someone. Uh, this is called, Today I Manic All the Way Down. Thank you. Today I Manic All the Way Down. Follow the light until it doubles back behind me and I silhouette myself. I'm my own shadow. Sleep holds a vigil for me as I fist fight a stop sign for calling itself my father. Snap my wallet like a bone or a branch underfoot. Trample through all the flower beds. Catch a stranger's cum on my tongue like an unseasoned snowflake. Is this what it means to be limitless? This is what it means to be limitless. Tethered to a cloud I don't care enough to name up high in the atmosphere out of anyone's reach but my own. I snatch one off the shelf and wring out the rain, drink it dry. Cumulonimbus, it insists. I kiss it on the mouth and distract us both from the dictation of science. I'm elemental, dishes flying off the table to smash against still air. Fire can't keep up with me. I reflect and water drowns itself in my cup. If today is the day, the big one hits. The earthquake I've been practicing to survive since I was a child. I won't hide under a desk or doorway. I shed sharp edges. I shred myself into ribbons for my hair. The world wants to be taken apart by a lover and reassembled by its beloved, but all it has is me. 
I'll fuck the planet off its axis and strip it for spare parts. Even the bed I'll drag home behind me like an aftershock. Anything can be called a trophy if you're the one who won. And me, I can't lose. If your horses bucked as hard as mine, you'd bet on them too. If you were to wishing well me, I'd cough up vaults of two-headed coins. I know better than to call myself lucky, but I look something like it in the dark, and so I've sucked the coil out of every light bulb in the city. My pulse is a passenger in a locked car. I'm the lake licking at its cracked windows. Would you be terrified to always be this powerful? I would be terrified to always be this powerful. I'm grateful my brain won't allow it sometimes. Anxious warden letting chemicals slip between the prison bars for good behavior. But I passed the point of goodness when I split open my fist and found five of God's fingers inside. Thank you, guys. Damn. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, the dog was like nonplussed the whole time. Though. <laughs> just like, it's like she was just like sleeping or something. I have no idea what was going on. Um, I don't think Bonnie is here because I saw Bonnie on Zoom. Bonnie, I'm saying hi from here, but uh, I, I think you're attending virtually. So unless she mysteriously materialized over the last 10 minutes, you didn't see her, right, Arthur? Okay, I'm going to trust you, Arthur. Uh, our next reader is Madeline Phillips. Give it up for Madeline. Um, oh. It's funny that this is happening, because what I was about to say is what I missed about in-person yops is everyone's relationship to the mic. <laughs> <laughs> um, mine is mostly that I'm short. Okay. <laughs> Um, I wrote this in a workshop with Carly Hoffman through Book and Poets, and it's called The Ants Are So Much Stronger Than My Adderall Prescription. <laughs> Clocks melt into moth wings, form angular relationships with many, flickering moons in the middle of the day. Polyamory soothes this constant itch, Hive, mind, tell me why a sim drowns in a pool when the ladder is deleted, but ants swarm the stale bread in my six-floor apartment. I cannot make sense of these numbers. Cheat codes won't reset my circadian rhythm. Consider the purple fists the lilac bush forms. Impossible to tell if I arrived too early or too late to breathe in their bloom. Every seven years, I get it right, cicada-like, Buzzing, my boss wants to know my ETA. Impossible to tell, the hands on my watch wriggle away. Worms, pressure responding to salt on skin. I do not know where the phone in my hand is. Mouth dry as the jokes my boyfriend makes. I lost his name, lost my appetite. Still stop to talk to the flowers on my way to work in tulip garden. Garter snake and goddess rhyme. We touch to speak. Words take hours to pronounce, even as the heart exceeds a hundred beats per minute. 
minutes, they stick together like lost socks, hide away, hermits. I missed my stop, thinking of ways to eradicate ants, lost my train of thought, lost my keys, my job. There is no, no cure for failing to see the piece of bread that fell on the floor in time. Time, empty and open, its white face waxing into a mask as the ants keep coming back for their dead. Thank you. That was great as always. Thank you, Madeline. Uh, wow. What's that line about minutes like? Lost socks, minutes stuck together like lost socks. Great stuff. Uh, our next reader, no stranger to all of you who have been yawping with us through all the years, give it up for Arthur Russell. First time, y'all. <laughs> no? Right. I have to do it on merit then. <laughs> Oh, so there's a note that goes with this. The word bivouac means a temporary camp without tents or cover, <laughs> used especially by soldiers and mountaineers. The name of this poem is Bivouac. <laughs> bivouac was the name of the exercise from my trumpet lesson book that I was supposed to be practicing in the basement of our house. The basement was finished with fake walnut paneling and a dropped ceiling with fluorescent lights and textured linoleum flooring. My mother's laundry room was to one side, my father's tool room to the other, and in the middle, this room with my mother's sewing machine a spare bed, our first color television, a closet under the stairs with a dartboard on the inside of the door, and board games and canned food. And there was a spinet piano where I sat to practice trumpet because the piano had a music stand and a bench for storing music. The narrow basement windows were high up in the wall with brown gingham curtains my mother had made. You don't really know what it's like to be 13 in a basement with a trumpet, <laughs> practicing a song before dinner, or how your lips hurt from playing, or how they buzz for a while after you stop how the continued silence from your mother in the kitchen is contingent on continuing to play, and you're so lonely. You can count the tree rings in the fake grain in the walnut paneling <laughs> and commiserate with the dusty plastic forsythia in the vase on the piano to the point where you don't know what is beautiful anymore. And then look up through the narrow rectangular window into the wheel well of the car in the driveway of the house next door, 
a metallic blue 1964 Ford Galaxy 500 with white bucket seats that the neighbor's son, Jack, left behind when the army sent him to Germany instead of Vietnam. So lonely that I stood and went with my trumpet in my hand to the window and leaned my head back to get a better angle to see up over the car's blue fender to Jack's window in the two-story addition and into Jack's room where the poster of Sid Luckman of Erasmus Hall fame, rearing back in his Chicago Bears jersey to make a pass, was tacked up on the wall above his bed. I will say that the feeling of that trumpet in my hand with my fingers wrapped around the valves, the weight of it is something that my hand remembers perfectly a half a century later. How I didn't want to put it down, though I didn't want to play it. How I stood there with my right hand on the corner of the windowsill as though I could launch myself up through it to the narrow gray rectangle of sky. And even when my mother called my name and I said, fine, I stood there anyway, not really aware that I was digging my thumbnail, flicking it into the edge of the paneling and separating the printed walnut pattern, which was little more than paper from the masonite below, or for how long I stood there doing that. Only that when I was done, the surface had shredded like the crepe paper leg of a pinata donkey. I was suffused with a feeling like a phone call from someone on Jupiter, a cold shame and lonely cocktail passing into me, a ghost that barely made a ripple going in but disappeared inside and lodged in me. I don't know where it went or what it froze, except it never left. I feel it like that hunter they found when the glacial ice retreated, huddled behind a boulder where he'd sought refuge from a sudden blizzard 5,000 years ago with 5,000-year-old squirrel meat preserved inside his belly and 5,000-year-old matted grass still comforting the feet inside his deer hide moccasins. But I cannot interrogate that ghost, not until this other glacier melts. Thank you. Thank you, Arthur. It's always spellbinding, Arthur Russell's poems, man. Damn. Okay, uh, we're getting close to the end, which is to say we're getting close to the wait list, so I hope to get to a couple poets on this wait list. Our next reader, uh, it's great to see all these people that have been yapping with us virtually for the last two years and to see them in person. Uh, give it up for Cassidy Gabriel. Yeah. Hello. 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 Hello
beautiful. That's so cool. Okay, um, this, so this poem, both the title and the epigraph are like word for word from a tweet by the New York Times. Um, I wrote this poem in a yop, I think a year ago, um, with Joanna Furman, which was about like dream and surrealism. So it's a little bit of that. It's a little bit of like we were looking at pictures and reading things and writing from them. It was so hot in Sicily this week, perhaps 124 Fahrenheit in one town, that the region's famous snails died in the heat, essentially stopped in their tracks as their feet burned on the ground. They stop and they die, local resident. In one hand, your Adam's apple. In the other, grinning bunch of maraschino cherries, sweet, pickled holy, knowledge fruits, maybe, forbidden, maybe. Please pocket me alongside the milky dish moon and let's run, run around this racetrack to the skeletons that live in melancholy among the green leaves. A snail can live through anything, they say, and I picture hordes of ancient snails, patient and numb with the waiting, bloated with their knowing. A hooded priest performs last rites for a fat, bloodied swan. We will have a repass for this swan, I swear we will. We must. And the longing will be bigger than ever, more dissonant than ever, more delicious than ever, soft like the insides of wrists like the fruits and vegetables which I hear are going to waste. It is all going to waste. First, the chartreuse dresses, then the straw palm branches, even the teeth, gnashing on tires, chomping on children's things. Bodiless hands take an ax to all of these pretty things. And what of the bees? Swarm of them, youthful and nodding, who too are numb with the awareness of what has happened here. Thanks, everyone. Uh, thank you. Cassidy Gabriel, always good. Bodiless hands take an ax to these pretty things. Is that what that line was? <laughs> My goodness. Uh, our next poet, uh, also amazing, former Yacht Poem of the Month winner, I think, Recently, I can never keep track of these things. Give it up for Morgan Boyle. Wow, hi. Wow. Um, is this my first time reading at the Yop in person? Yeah. The first time I ever read at the Yop, it was online, and I read a poem about hamsters. Yeah. Um, this poem, uh, I just edited it, so it doesn't have a title, R.I.P. Um, okay, cool. Uh, the joke is that I threw up so cute and so quiet in a sad little toilet on Cornelia Street last night. The joke is my lipstick was still perfect after. The joke is Revlon would be proud. The joke is the lack of advertising to lipstick people prone to stick their head in a toilet in private. The joke is the amount of money to be made off this demographic. The joke is my dehydrated body waking up at 3 a.m., freezing toes, cracking hardwood. 
death mouth tongue swiping sides why was my body in the kitchen why did i go checking all the burners click 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 and flame dream brain imagining soul despised they turned my gas off at night Imagining my landlord gas company early morning wanting to freeze me out, stupid nighttime baby woke in the sun alone. All my night fears of the physical, stupid in the sun and warm and light, my brain is phasing, I swear it's audible. No one can sleep next to me under the ceiling. They might hear the way my thoughts move. I cannot be faulted. For the brain waves that happen, shuffling down the hall under 3 a.m. ceiling, time to check the burners. If the gas has been shut off, it's my fault. One at a time, turning the knobs, click, 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 whoosh. The burners work. I turn them off. Check again. They are off. Check again. 315 night knows the burners work. 320 night knows the burners are off. They are off. They are off. They are off. God damn it. What died and made my mouth president? <laughs> the cute puke, recall the cute puke. Lipstick perfect slid back into conversation without break. Impressive, Christ, I know nothing about Copenhagen. Ask, just ask. You didn't throw up earlier, just ask. Freezing in a full outfit. I could drown in this shirt. Breath from my lungs, black cotton in my eyes. Go to sleep, never wake up. It wasn't the burners after all. She, dry, she died trying to breathe in a shirt. The joke, it was the shirt all along. Plan a funeral, death by shirt. At least it wasn't the burners. At least no one knew I threw up. At least the sun is here, the light, and the next day morning brain. A body is in my bed, and it is my body, my vehicle. The shirt is still on, and I am not dead. Allergy pills, pain pills, bacon, egg, and cheese, coffee, orange juice, not dead. Kiko is meowing and trying to play with my hair, and the burners are off. The heat's kicked on, and it's Friday, and I haven't showered since Sunday. But that's between me and the void. Thank you. Thank you, Morgan. That was a treat to hear that in person. Uh, wow. We've got a couple more readers on the main list, and then we'll try to get to a couple on the wait list. Um, our next reader, very excited to introduce because uh, she's moving to where I live now, Beacon, New York, which is where all of you should move soon. And then we'll all be together and commute here for the yop. Our next reader is Chiara DeLelo. Give it up for Chiara. Hello, everybody. Hello, microphone. I missed you. Um, it's so great to be back in person. Um, so I was working on an essay, or what I thought was an essay, and I even promised to send it to someone. And then I was like, this is terrible. And my partner, to his credit, said, well, what if it's a poem? And he was right. Um, I'm not ready to talk about this, but my poem is ready to talk about this. Um, the poem is called Gender is a Galaxy. The universe is expanding. 
I am 12 or 13. We know because of the Hubble Space Telescope floating in its orbit like a seven-foot-wide Pringles can with two gold slap bracelets on either side. When this brainchild of the 80s flips its lid to drink in starlight, the math tells all. We are apart and getting more so. But I look up at the stars and distance is the last thing I feel. The universe is collapsing. I am 13 or 12 and this complete waste of oxygen, this bully, this boy is inches from my face because I am ready to punch him when suddenly he sings songs, you have a unibrow, and giggles, giggles, evaporating my anger faster than human tears through a cracked EV suit. At home that night, I pluck my eyebrows for the first time. My chest is expanding. The universe might as well collapse. I don't know what it's doing there, all this flesh, when just months ago my sixth grade bully called me skinny as a toothpick. Now I'm ballooning galactic curves, central bulge indeed, raking fingernails across it in the dark as if I could molt the unwanted cocoon. The universe is expanding. My options are shrinking. My best frenemy pushes an aqua blue tank into my hands, screen printed in pink like an old snack bar sign. When I put it on, eat at big kahunas arcs across my middle school 34 C's. You can wear that, she says, as if annoyed. You actually have boobs. The rest proceeds like a chain reaction. We should pick a stripper name for you. See who can get a paper ball down the front of her shirt first. And from my female friends, you have nothing to complain about. Anything more than a handful is a waste. At least I know he doesn't want me for my tits. The universe is expanding. I am 17. In a single college semester, I land theater roles as a probably queer nine-year-old and a Shakespeare heroine who dresses as a man. For both shows, I bind my chest with an ace bandage. I want to be more convincing. Hubble trains its lens on a seemingly empty patch of space that astronomers call the deep field and watches patiently. From the literal void, galaxies bloom. The universe is expanding, and it's what we can't see that sets the pace. For Halloween, with my mom's help, I pin my two feet of hair back to my head, wrap a deck of cards into a cuffed white t-shirt, and go as James Dean. You're too pretty to be a boy, says my neighbor. I pose in the hallway with one foot up and chin tilted down. The red-shifted galaxies in Hubble's view show us just how fast dark matter is pushing all points apart, even if we can't see it or measure it. Born an explosion, spurred on by our own beginnings. The universe is expanding. I am 33. And my students want to talk about every letter in LGBTQIA, plus all the terms they've learned from TikTok. A million miles from Earth, the James Webb Space Telescope beams back its first images. It's the new Hubble, the clear successor, the end of an era. All the old stunners pale in comparison. But Kiara, my students again, 
What's the difference between pansexual and omnisexual? What about non-binary and genderqueer? What's the difference, I want to reply, between ballet flats, which I hate, and Oxfords, which feel like home? Between pretty and handsome? You might have a sense of what's true for you, I tell them, and you might not. Everyone goes at their own pace. But isn't it great how many are out there? The universe expands. We reach. We listen. We ask better questions. The universe expands, and it is never in vain. We reach beauty. We reach clarity. A little more knowing, a little more glow. Thank you. All right, thank you. Very wise. Okay, uh, hopefully that was a recommendation to move to Beacon, where I live. Uh, our next poet is uh, the master of the 15-minute Yawp workshop poem. Give it up for Stella Lee. poem that I actually wrote in a workshop with um, Rosebud Benoni. I'm a big fan of her. <clears throat> if someone asks, I don't have social media. Did I tell you that I make sure you can't find my face when you search for my name? How I regularly scour the internet to scrub every last trace of me so no one can find me with just a click of a button? Did you know that it costs you? What do I have that they don't? It's just my data, and I care. I hide my face. No traces of me on a screen, no posts of my daily ins and outs. I only watch. Watch how the lights and cameras give the best angles. Watch and read how I, too, can find a better way to set boundaries. Watch and wish how I can be in that perfectly lit living room. Watch and laugh at their inside jokes. I watch and scroll and watch and carve out more time away from the screen. My eyes do, too, much watching. I like to watch. I promise it's not bad. I, I don't want to cause any harm. I just like to sit back and admire so many of those shiny yous I can never be. The doctor already told me that my eyes are getting dimmer. The muscles droop and make me look sleepy. The edges of everything are just a little softer. My eyeballs are just a bit drier. So I install and use the do not disturb mode. Set timers and out of office messages, place digital walls around my body so that I don't soak up too much blue light. Try to make my sleep darker. Because, did you know, it's when we are sleeping that they start to listen and watch? They watch every blurry night, our moves and snores, select patterns that make us want more light because they need to keep creeping. My fingers tap so many times, my prints fuse with the screen. They curve 
and fold into clasps, close over as they cover virtual messages and communicate. I know that they know, that I know, that Alexa and Google are listening. The first time I saw the cracks was when ads started to pop up after a brief mention of dessert wine, how I said I needed a new kitchen knife and shiny blades circled the edges the very next time I opened my laptop. I feel the creep. It's slow and steady. It crawls over my back, curls into my neck, comes up on my MRI scan as a bulge and dislocated discs. I feel the plug right where they slipped it in between the second and third vertebrae. They tapped my spine to feed at night. It pushes to make space in my spine because it lives inside of me. I dream in spaces and blue light. My eyes burn every time when they are closed. My head swirls with dances and fragments of songs. Why bother with all those lyrics when the chorus is really all we need to remember, right? I remember reading 1984, thinking about how Orwell knew my childhood was filled with dangerous technology, how the TV was unplugged each night by my father so that they can't hear us when we're sleeping. Thank you. Thank you, Stella. I gotta, I gotta say there was one massive irony to that whole poem was that Stella is our Poet of the Week on the Broken Poets website this week. <laughs> so you will indeed be able to find her, I think, if you Google her, unless she tells us to delete it tomorrow. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I think we got time for two readers off the wait list. Uh, if they're still here, uh, our next reader is Adam Rosen. If you're still here, give it up for Adam Rosen. Hello, everyone. Uh, I am here because my wife and kids are out of town, and I was trying to figure out what to do. I was thinking about going to the theater. All the theaters are dark on Mondays, and I saw this, and I said, uh-oh, now I have to literally read a poem, which I've never done before, barely ever written a poem. And this... Uh, this is, uh, it's basically a, a kind of elegy for Manhattan circa 2005. Uh, not a good time, not, arguably not a good borough. Uh, and it's a lot of the lines in it are things that I overheard people saying on the street, on the sidewalk, walking around in those days. Uh, and I was trying to come up with a title on the way over here, and I think I'm going to go with New Millennium. I am a locksmith by trade, purveyor of fine keys. From this vantage in this improbable office, the years have flowed around me, a human street sign embroidered by time. On a wet good Thursday to Weehawken Street we went, and there to meet a harried jeweler. The whole thing about Shinto is, someone said behind me, they rounded a corner onto Leroy Street, and now I will never know. One night in the mid-2Ks, I heard someone name-drop Phil Glass in a sushi restaurant. Another time, a friend of a friend literally saw Jonathan Franson at Whole Foods. 
None of that exists anymore. We were debating whether simply saying the words 8th Street was evocative. <laughs> Cities don't seethe anymore, I hazarded. The blandest suburb conceals more mystery. I quivered on my futon with a bedsheet wrapped around me, yelling into the speakerphone. Tourists will put their feet up on a subway pole. You glare at their audacity, then realize you'd do the same. They're half a world away from their morning commute, and they're never going to see these people again. But then again, neither are you. I ducked into a divey Starbucks to escape the weight of history. I paid my debt to society. I got my own apartment, my own phone, nice jewelry. I'm doing great, someone said across the handoff plane. <laughs> a picturesque hodgepodge of Dickensian humanity clogged these streets two centuries ago, all now equally dead. We were deposited into a row of two tops facing a tarnished mirror. I could still make out isolated phrases above the playlist. This is Welsh flake salt, smoked with an 800-year-old felled oak tree. I'll eat virtually anything, provided it's shaved tableside. Have you seen our server? The cabbie's eyes glazed as he remembered his home country. So peaceful, he murmured, so peaceful. We were driving along Manhattan's storied Central Park South. Enjoy everything, man, he said, as I threw the passenger door sliding down the track. I was in Marcy's apartment later that same afternoon. Fortunately, she flourished in the gig economy. She poured her tea mindfully into a public radio mug and gently implied that my latest work was merely a series of references. <laughs> in effect, she said in her, tri her tri-state area drawl, you're retroactively congratulating yourself for having once been 30. <laughs> we embraced, and I knew at that moment things would always be the same. But in drops, in little droplets, the light switches go off one by one, the squares blinking in random patterns, the game of life, sunrise on the Hudson. Another tricky Monday, another morning jog into the heart of Western capitalism. Let it rest here. Rest here now. Let this be. River breezes rock the charter boats at rest now in their moorings. Be calmed. All right. Thank you, Adam. I'm glad your wife went out of town. That was, that was a treat. Uh, wow. That made me feel like I enjoy New York City again. Um, our next and final reader, I'm going to make sure, I'm, well, I'm not going to make sure, I'm going to try to get this name right, and please correct me when you get up here. Is it Nidhi Vanga? That's right. All right. Give it up for Nidhi Vanga. That was actually a pretty good pronunciation. I always get Nidhi, which is not my name, but yeah. <laughs> Um, this poem I wrote is the first and only poem. When I wrote it, I was like, oh, it's complete, and I don't think I'll ever achieve that again. But yeah, it's called M. Stickly sweet, my teeth ache, and I devour you until my belly aches. I continue, sucking, tasting, biting, over and over, until I'm bruised all over, until I feel the pith in my core pulling me in, the juice bursting within me, the nectar nursing my throat, Potence in syrup, almost too cloying, 
Teeth nibble into your skin, droplets dribble down my chin. Fuck, what am I going to do? It's not mango season anymore. Okay, it's not mango season anymore. Thank you. Okay, uh, I'm going to go back through the list, uh, starting with the last reader and going back to the first. Uh, again, the number to vote for Yacht Poem of the Month for August. It is Leo season, and I am a Leo, so fuck yeah to all the other Leos in the room. Who here is a Leo? One hand went up. You are fucking awesome. The rest of you suck. <laughs> because you didn't cheer or anything, so you must hate Leos. The number to vote for Poem of the Month is 718-374-1953. Uh, the texts are going to start coming into our phone over there in a second. Um, our last reader was Nidhi Vanga. Before that was Adam Rosen. And again, just text me the poet's name as best you can spell it. Before that was Stella Lee, Kiara DeLelo, Morgan Boyle, Cassidy Gabriel, Arthur Russell, Madeline Phillips, Jazz Sufi, Brian Zhang, Andrew Yim, Michael Cohen, Kaylin Tully, Sarah Lynn Rogers, Heather Kim, Jasmine Pirick, Natalia Conte, Phil Eggers, Serenjia Rao, and all the way back to the beginning of Veronica Martha Greaves. Again, 718-374-1953, the number to vote for Poem of the Month. Um, our next YAWP, what is the second Monday of the month in September? Does anyone have their phone on? <laughs> Brian's got the calendar. The 12th, September 12th is the next time we will be yawping here. And uh, one of the teachers who is leading our... Wednesday drop-in, in fact, uh, from 5 to 6, uh, 5 to 5 to 6, 5 to 6, Anthony Thomas Lombardi, he's an amazing poet, and he's teaching that drop-in, and he's going to be leading that September 12th yop. He's been doing this uh, really cool thing with dream journals, um, dream journals and sunset journals. Uh, and he has the sunset journals for all the people who don't remember their dreams, <laughs> uh, which is great. So uh, I'm thinking he's going to be doing something with that on September 12th. Um, so the tickets for that go on sale at 9.30. <laughs> and uh, we're going to keep doing this thing where we have 10 tickets set aside for people to uh, reserve an open mic spot. So here's how it works. I know I try to make it as clear as possible. It's never clear to everyone because that's language and uh, also not everyone reads what I write <laughs> which I also respect but uh, the 10 uh, tickets that say uh, workshop seat and reserved open mic spot that means you can just show up whenever the fuck you want and you will have an open mic spot everyone else has to sign up at the door um, so uh, next month there will be 10 of those seats and then I think uh, we'll have maybe 20 more reserve seats, and then everything else will be general admission or uh, uh, open mic only or virtual for all of you on Zoom. Uh, but you can sign up for that at 9.30. I think Emily Blair is working her magic, hopefully behind the scenes uh, for September 12th. Uh, the next event coming up here is next 
Saturday, which I think is August 20th. That's going to be the next Open Streets Montague, which means they're going to close the street behind us to vehicle traffic. That is uh, one of the two workshop showcases we're going to be having for all the students and teachers that have been uh, studying together this summer. We're going to be doing an in-person one and a virtual one since we have both online and in-person workshops. So Saturday, August 20th will be open as always, 11 to 6, and then uh, the, the doors will open for the event, even though we're already open at 6. In other words, that's when the wine will start flowing if you want to come in, and the reading will begin around 6.30. So side note, if you don't know this already, because uh, some people keep asking, and uh, a lot of times we're here and no one comes in, <laughs> and these tables, which are full now, are not full. Uh, but during the day from 11 to 6, Tuesday to Saturday, we are open. And you can just come in, chill, get a coffee or tea, grab free Wi-Fi. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's like a cafe but not a cafe because we don't have a food service permit. But uh, it's better that way <laughs> because there's actually no pressure to buy anything. And you can just sit here and read or write uh, or both. The only thing you can't do is take business calls. Uh, like, you know those people that come into like a Starbucks and have the earpiece in and they're talking? You're like, who the fuck are they talking to? And they're just like taking a business call. That is one thing you cannot do in here. <laughs> but I don't think anyone here is gonna do that. <laughs> so it's fine. Um, again, the number to vote for uh, Poem of the Month, 718-374-1953. If you read tonight and we don't have your email, like you didn't purchase a ticket uh, in advance but purchased one at the door, you should probably give us your email in case you win Poem of the Month because there is no way I can contact you unless we have your email. <laughs> so uh, make sure to do that if you bought a ticket at, your do at the door and this is your first time tonight. Okay, uh, we'll stick around for a little bit. Buy some books. Jess Greenbaum, thank you. Give a big round of applause for Jessica Greenbaum one more time. Her latest book is for sale up here. I personally vouch for it, Spilled and Gone. It's a great book, one of my favorites. Uh, you might not know we have June Jordan and Richard Wright shirts for sale. We haven't really promoted those yet, but the right there is Richard Wright, and the Jordan is June Jordan, not Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan did not live in Brooklyn. Um, okay, we will see you hopefully on August 20th or at the next shop. Thank you for coming. Good night. All right, there you have it. The first in-person Yop open mic since March of 2020. It was quite a night. Thanks for everyone who came out. It was a packed house. Uh, honestly, wasn't sure how it would go. Didn't know if people would uh, come out again, but uh, we sold out in advance tickets uh, well before the event, and then had some people show up at the door. Um, it was so nice being a person again hearing the poems live with applause and uh, just getting all that ambiance, which uh, I think you can hear on the recording. It's so nice to have people applauding between poems so I don't have to come up with something interesting to say <laughs> between every poem, which is actually, you know, believe it or not, really hard to do. Congrats to Jasmine Pyrrhic, uh, whom we saw again for, I think, the first time since before the pandemic. Uh, Jasmine won our August Yacht Poem of the Month for her beautiful poem about her mother, What I Will Remember About My Mother. Jasmine's earned a Brooklyn Poets tote bag uh, and a spot in our Poem of the Year 
contest at the end of the year, which will be in December. Uh, we are, I think, at this point, planning to do that in person because all of the finalists live in the New York City area. We'll see if that continues. Uh, Jasmine's also earned uh, two tickets to our awards gala in December, which will be after the Poem of the Year contest. So uh, look forward to those dates, which are coming soon. Thanks again to Jessica Greenbaum for leading our first in-person Yop workshop since March 2020. I uh, did a fantastic job, um, and uh, I love Jess's work, and uh, you should too. If you don't already, you should check out her most recent collection, Spilled and Gone, and uh, Jess has also edited an anthology of tree poems, which came out recently. Uh, I encourage you to check that out as well. Our next Yop will again meet in person at 144 Montague Street and be live streamed via Zoom. If you don't live in the New York City area and want to purchase a virtual ticket, uh, that will be led by new Brooklyn Post teacher Anthony Thomas Lombardi, who has been leading uh, a bi-weekly drop-in class on dream journaling every Wednesday, 5 to 6 p.m. Anthony will also be leading a six-week version uh, of this workshop coming up later this fall. If you haven't checked out our fall workshops, early registration has begun. You can check that out at brooklynpoets.org. Fellowship applications are due September 4th, or if you uh, don't need to apply for a fellowship, don't need financial aid, you can uh, take advantage of the early registration discount through September 18th. Okay, that is all. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and uh, rate us five stars. It helps more people like you find these incredible poets who read for open mic uh, on the second Monday of every month. Uh, This was fun, editing this, and it'll be fun to host another one of these next uh september 12th so uh, if you're in the NYC, if you're in the nyc area hopefully we'll see you there and if you're not uh, hopefully we'll see you attending virtually on zoom okay uh thanks for listening take care <laughs>